I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. We might just be in France, but this is global. These players are icons. Their stories are noble. In fact, each story into the game is golden. Yo, 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 I'm Heath. Yeah, and I'm Monkey. And this is Football Inside Out, a podcast from Copa 90. We're coming to you every single day from the Copa 90 Clubhouse in Paris, bringing you all the excitement from the 2019 Women's World Cup in France. And here's what we have for you today. Canada's Erin McLeod is sadly injured in this tournament, but we caught up with her as well. Ellie Mingham and the inside score today. It's Canada and Cameroon ahead of their game tonight. But first, we've got a little recap from last night's matches as part of the five things you need to know going into your day. Let's give it a listen. Football Inside Out by Copper 90. So, number one that you need to know going into your day. There was the first upset in the World Cup. Australia yes. lost to Italy after going up ahead uh, on a Sam Kerr goal. Yeah, I feel like, uh, I think I looked up the uh, the Australia, where they stand, basically. And I think they're sixth best in the world. Okay. And Italy, oh, I actually don't know. Definitely not in the below top 20. sixth. Yeah, below For, sixth. As a safe bet, below sixth. Yeah. Okay. Which is a real upset. Yeah. Next one, uh, number two, hat trick by Christiane. Marta. Marta. Who, was just, <laughs> she was just Marta? there with the guitar, just yeah, bringing the vibes. Yeah. Uh, by the way, threw the finger up on the yeah, way I in. Know, I you saw see that? that. What threw was Threw the all finger that about? up at somebody. Yeah, so she she's mad at the somebody. Bird. She flipped somebody in the tunnel, but I yeah. want to know who that was. Yeah. But she also did it mid guitar, which I thought was quite steezy. Yeah. yeah. That's style. <laughs> that means you've been on stage before. Someone yeah. threw, throw yeah. something, don't stop the song, just flip them off and keep going. It was like no shit's given. Yeah. Um, but Christiane, the oldest hat trick uh, in a World Cup. Yes. Move over Carly Lloyd. Move over. Who had the record before. Granted, hers was in a final of a World Cup against Japan at 32 years. I think she's, okay, yeah, I, I think Christiane's so. 34. Um, but also, Talk to me about this goalkeeper you like so much today. Yes. Number three. The goalkeeper uh, of Jamaica, Sydney Schneider. Yeah. Actually American born with, I think, Jamaican parents. She was born in 1999, if that makes you feel old, everybody. She is 19 years old. And she, for me, was player of the match. She saved so many goals from going in. She was confident. She came out at the right time. She saved a penalty as well. 
And on the theme of goalkeepers, by the way, yes. I, I haven't been that impressed by many of the goalkeepers. I've seen a few yeah. glaring er errors, but also today, Jordan Pickford, or yesterday, yes. Jordan Pickford scored his penalty. The first time a goalkeeper scored a penalty for England in a knockout match, I believe. Yep, the first time. Go yeah. on, Pickford. Yeah. Go on. I love him, mate. He's so, like, he just, he's confident. That's I all like I can that. say. Yeah, step up and do it. Uh, number four, England was almost uh, the most <laughs> dominant team in the tournament so far. Oh, when I watched oh, them in the first half, I was so impressed. Yeah, they looked too. so comfortable, me confident. Too. Across the pitch, there was no real glaring weaknesses. They had a game plan but I might yeah, be too. leaning back towards France as the most dominant team. Granted, they weren't really tested. Yeah, in the, in the, when the first half finished, I was like, I feel so confident about this team. Even when we have a free kick or any set piece, I don't feel nervous, which as an Arsenal fan is a very rare thing. Right. Right? Yeah. So when whenever we had that set piece, I was like, I feel fine. I feel I have the responsibility is on them and I trust them. But when we went into the second half, and I said, Scotland are going to bring it. And they did in the second half. Yeah. They got a goal back and they put us under pressure. And yeah. yeah. Held on though. They did hold on. Now, hold number on. five, looking to tomorrow, Canada plays Cameroon. You're going to hear a lot about that in this episode already. But Argentina, Japan, do you have any fun facts for me, Monkey? So the last time that they played each other as a nation was in France in the 1998 World Cup when the two men's team met. Yeah, I love it. And, and also, Argentina won 1-0. Yeah, and Argentina coming off of a couple years of not actually playing any international matches as a federation. Yep. That preview that Ellie has is going to be coming up soon in a future podcast. But yeah, that is it. So now we're going to get back into the rest of the show. Here is Ellie Mencham with the inside score on all that you really need to know about Canada. Inside, inside score. Following on from their wildly successful World Cup they hosted four years ago, which saw a run to the quarterfinals that created a nationwide hype, resulting in a record-breaking crowd of 54,000, the Canadians, with a squad arguably stronger than the one four years ago, will be looking to go one step further and make it to only their second ever semi-finals appearance. Inside, Inside school. But here's what you really need to know. With one of the most promising young squads in the game, off the back of a bronze finish at the World Cup and Olympics, and riding a wave of unprecedented support from fans nationwide, the role of Canada women's head coach is arguably one of the most enviable positions in the entire game. Which is why it left so many confused and upset when long-term coach John Herdman packed up and left them for the role of Canadian men's team coach. A side who haven't made a World Cup since the 1980s and still really don't look like making one anytime soon. Funnily enough, since Herdman's role change, there really hasn't been that much of an improvement in Canada's men's mediocre performances. Meanwhile, on the women's side, their form has continued to rise. That's because Herdman's former assistant, Kenneth Hina-Moller's transition into head coach of the women's team has gotten off to a flying start, with a run of eight wins without conceding, including a convincing 1-0 win against tournament heavyweights England. And it's perhaps due to this continued success that the initial anger towards not only Herdman, but the Canadian FA, who played a significant role in rooting the team of their coach, has subsided as the results continue to point towards a promising World Cup, regardless of who's in charge. But perhaps the real reason there hasn't been any change in form is that the real authority in the team never really stemmed from the head coach, but the team's iconic captain, Christine Sinclair. The current Portland Thorn striker, who made her debut all the way back in March 2000, and nearly two decades later, heads to her fifth World Cup as the face, heart and soul of the Canadian women's game, that has gone from strength to strength since her debut at the turn of the century. Whilst there would be doubts in any squad that makes a 36-year-old striker their central figure, 
Sinclair's continued prowess in front of goals, matched with a defence marshalled around Leon star Kadisha Buchanan, means Canada head to France as a well-rounded unit. And provided they top the group, which would mean almost certainly avoiding the Americans until the final, the Canadians could easily beat the heroics of 2015 and give former coach Herdman food for thought on just what he's missing out on. Not that the informed Sinclair and co even care at this stage. Big shouts to Ellie for the facts once again coming through them. Canada were the last country to host yep. the World Cup and here they are again. How do you think they're going to do in this game? Ah, I mean, I think they'll do well. I think they've got a strong squad. Humble brag, I went to university with Christine Sinclair. Oh, did you? Yeah, and, and I was thinking about it. I was telling somebody the other day, I was like, she absolutely dominated people in college. It was her, Megan Rapino, yeah. in my school. Like, there was a lot of really good players that came through my university. This is Oregon. Uh, university of Portland. Portland, sorry. Yeah. Oregon. Whoa. Wow. Ooh, wow. Wow, just throwing stuff out there. That was touching. Um, because it was uh, a soccer, a, f a football school, we didn't have an American football program. We didn't have any other big sports. We only had soccer. So everybody yeah. in the university would go to these matches. So like the men supported the women, women supported the men. It was a very, very cool thing. We used to go to all their matches whenever they were playing at home. And she was un. Believable. And I was telling somebody that the other day, and then I was like, I actually think she's been more dominant as a professional than she was in university. And she, she was like the best player. They won a national championship. She was the best player in college soccer for three, four seasons. And now here she is closing in on 200 international goals. What was it like between like the men's soccer team and the women's soccer team at university? Would you guys watch each other's games? Always. Always. That's yeah. cool. I mean, when it, whenever it was possible. When, when I was there, they built uh, stadium lights so that we could have night matches, things like that. But typically, uh, sometimes we were on the road when they were, they were home type of thing. But anytime mm -hmm. they were around, uh, it was, it's a really small school. It was only like 2,500 students. Okay. So for like a university... You only went there if you were if you were an athlete. You only went there if you wanted to be yeah. a, a soccer player. And if you wanted to be a professional soccer player, it was one of the best places to do it. Otherwise, if you're on the West Coast, you could go to UCLA, University of Washington, had like 30,000 students and like the real American college experience. So if you were going there, you were going there with the purpose of, of, of competing and, and trying to develop as a footballer. Is it the number one university in America for football? No, it's gone through a lot since then. So that the, the head coach was a guy named Clive Charles. So if you've ever seen any of these massive TIFOs that the Portland Thorns have rolled out or the Portland Timbers have rolled out, uh, the guy with the big afro, this is Clive Charles. He was sort of the founder of, one of the first founders of like sort of football in the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. And he was the, the coach of both the men's and the women's university team at the same time. Right. So he was the main reason. So he was the, the Olympic team coach at that time. That's unusual, isn't side. it? Yeah. To do both. Very unusual. It's almost unheard of. I, I think he was maybe one of the few that did it. But they ended up winning a national championship the, just the year before he passed away, um, which was unbelievable to sort of get him to that point and, and achieve that with him still there. But it was a massive program. And then when he left, it was a tough thing. Again, a lot of kids want that college experience. And you don't get that at Portland. You get a professional football, football experience, yeah. right? The, the, the training the, the atmosphere around athletics is, is, is a major thing. You know, you're being monitored closely as if you're in a professional environment. Whereas if you're somebody that's sort of a good player, but you're not sure if you want to play professionally or you don't know what's next, like you probably want to go to a big school that has a big American football team that it's all around sort of the Greek life and the college experience mm -hmm. and the partying and all the things that you get with college. You don't really get there as a smaller community. Yeah. So the men's and the women's team were like closely, closely related. You know, we had, you know, close friends, 
people dating, you know, lifelong yeah. friends now. And now a lot of those people have now gone on to either play professionally or they work at Nike or Adidas right, in Portland. Right, so right, yeah. everyone's still in that ecosystem. Like even when I go up there, I still end up running to people on, uh, uh, that work for either of those brands on one of those campuses. We just don't have that culture in the UK, that, that sports university culture in the UK. It's not a thing at all. The closest thing we have is Loughborough University, which is our big sports uni. And that's that's pretty much as close as it gets to the American system. Like uh, the women's England team used to play there. A lot of the, a few of the, few of the players that I know that used to play in the England squad that no longer do or didn't end up doing went to Loughborough University. So if you're going to do sport, you go to Loughborough. But apart from that, like it's not really the case. Your system is is set up literally like you're you are planning to play football for the rest of your life. Yeah, that's changed a lot on the. Uh, men's side specifically now with like these European leagues solidifying there's a lot more opportunity for players yeah. to say you know what even, even on the female side I, I'm going to forego my opportunity to go to college I can go back and do that but I want to start my career say at 18 instead of losing potentially four years yeah. of like really formative footballing years so on the men's side especially most of the players aren't going through the college system anymore if you are a talented young player you're signing into an academy um, or a first team contract that allows you to play with the first or second team in, in a major league soccer like sort of setup. Whereas before when I was there, like the only route was either you were a phenom and you signed when you were like 17 or you were going to college and hoping to leave early with, with a deal in your hand. Yeah. The good thing about um, women's football in the UK though, that, that America doesn't seem to have just from my experience from talking to girls and women that played football in the States and then sort of play up until university and then stop playing after university. And they're just like, Oh, what do I do now? Because you either play professionally or you just kind of don't play. There's no in between. So they ended up leaving, getting a job and they play co-ed because there's nowhere for them to play. So a lot of the players who've come over to London, so, so half of my football team are made up of American female players because in the states they well they've just come over and, and they're like we want to play somewhere in america there's nowhere for us to play at this level yeah it's either pro college or nothing at all yeah yeah i, I i've spoken to quite a few girls that i know that played college soccer and then went on to the sort of the workforce in the u.s and it's been a major struggle to create a new identity right when you go through a university system yeah you are part of like a culture and it is all you know and then you step into the real world and you don't have this team around you that cares you don't have that same type of atmosphere and it's a huge transition into the real world that i think you know uh, we all experience at a certain point when you transition from one career to another but especially people coming out of college that have been in a very uh, controlled environment very professional environment are now having to wake up and uh, pay taxes and file yeah. taxes and uh, Cook. make their own food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and do all these real life things that you had a, a group of people around that, that sort of catered to you. And it's a real shock. And then add that to the fact that there's not a place necessarily in the U S to go and continue to play regularly. We're starting to see some teams on the West coast pop up that are in the lower divisions of sort of semi pro professional soccer on the women's side mm -hmm. uh, where they can continue to just sort of have that, camaraderie the competition and all the things that sort of stimulate them but you're right yeah in, in music i see a similar thing as well like especially I, in the dj world i've kind of seen people blow up over a couple of years and then two years later nobody really cares or like they're just not in the spotlight or they're just not the hype thing anymore and it's kind of like okay so when I was like 20 I became a DJ it became massive and really good money and I was really young probably spent it on loads of silly things and it was really really fun and now 
six, seven years later, the hype's not as big. I'm not getting bookings. Like, what the fuck am I doing? And they're like, oh, I'm nearly 30. I didn't go to university because I was doing this. And like, and there's no real like support system. And that's not only just for DJs, that's for like pop stars as well. Right. Like pop, pop stars come and they go, but you don't really hear about what happens to them when they go. Right. And they've like been like pushed into the spotlight and then maybe dropped from a label or something. And they're just like, uh, okay, now what? Yeah, and not only that, but when you are pushed into the spotlight and, and when, you're, when you're a college athlete, a scholarship college athlete, you are treated with the highest standard. So you, you, the idea is, is, you know, you go to class, you pass your classes and all those types of things are important. So you have that along with playing, but a lot of things are catered to you, right? Yeah. You feel the sense of like pride of being taken care of and all those types of things. Whereas, you know, as soon as that all ends, you've also learned a very you differently than uh, an average student in your university. That person's having to go through that at a, at, during their formative years, right? Mm. They're going through all the normal developmental things from adolescence to adulthood. Whereas a college athlete is skipping a lot of those phases. And I'm sure the same with like any sort of phenoms or any sort of young pop stars or any sort of like quickly rising person in any industry. Mm-hmm. They skip this huge phase of human development where everyone starts catering to them and saying, oh, we'll make your life easy because we just want you to focus on doing what you do really well yeah, and yeah. all the other things that we learned. I left home when I was 16 or 15 and 15 to 18, I was living in a sports academy away from my parents across the country and I missed a lot of normal growing things during that phase that I look back that I think have affected me in as an adult because I didn't get sort of any normal trajectory of growth. I skipped yeah. all those and I became adult overnight at 15. And I think that's one of the hardest parts of transitioning from any career, even if it's uh, college athletics into the real world, is that that support system is gone, that care, that feeling of pride is gone. You have to go and reinvent yourself. Yeah. And this is some of the conversations we've had with some of the players as well about being an entrepreneur. And it also, I guess, highlights the fact that maybe some people don't have to be put in an education system. They can go and do extremely well without getting a degree. You know, personally, for me, university wouldn't have it wouldn't have fit in me. Like I wouldn't have done well. I probably would have gone for the wrong reasons and I would have ended up with a massive bill at the end of it. Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts about just the university system, especially in the U S because, you know, I look at my brother and he's got his masters. Yeah. He's also got tons of debt Yeah. to get his masters. Right. And the payoff for that, that he's had to rack up to be a highly educated person in a professional industry, which isn't really paying off in a lot of ways. It is from a personal standpoint, but he's racked up all of this debt. And not to say that was the wrong path for him because he's extremely happy with what he's doing. He's doing like family therapy and things like that. But for other people, there's a number of different industries. Yes, if you can go to university, then great, but you shouldn't take on, he's got a 10 year debt payoff, basically working for the state that gets cleared if he works for the state for 10 years. Right. Right. So he's committed to this whole thing, which means he can't climb up in his business because if you go to a certain threshold of salary, you can no longer wipe your debts. It's all kinds of complexities. So I don't think it's for everyone. I don't think college or university is for everyone. We see a lot of people, there's so many new spaces and places for people to be entrepreneurs or put their kind of mind to task to find something that they're passionate about yeah i think athletes need to be given that like option as well whether to go to school and like you said it's getting better like you can go to college now or you can just get signed from an early early age i know the ferns the new zealand national team the women's team the government actually pay for all their olympians and all their national players to go through university while they're still training 
Really? And that's an option. And they pay for it. So they can and they can't. The There's, players pay for it? No, no, no. The, the government okay. pay it. Yeah. The government pay for it. Yeah. So, you know, people have, are educating themselves while they're training as well. Or they, they can do, they cannot, they can choose. But there is a young girl from California who's been signed to Nike, right? Yes. Uh, a football player. Yep. She is, Olivia she, Moultrie. She's 12? She 13. Like 13. Yeah. And she, so she's the youngest professional female player to be signed by a big brand. Yes. And she got the option of either going to university at, is it Portland? No, I believe it was maybe North Carolina. Yeah, or, or to turn pro, pro. at 16. Yeah. And she chose to turn pro. Yeah. Because North Carolina, by the way, is the biggest, the biggest right. of the women's side. You yeah. know, everyone from like Mia Hamm all the way down to, to, to even now, like half the team is uh, our UNC Chapel Hill athletes. But yeah, she, she signed this massive deal. I've played with her. So she comes and plays pickup <laughs> with us in LA prior to signing this deal. And she plays on the field with us. That's amazing. Yeah, she's got incredible feet. You can see she's still growing into herself. She's 13, yeah. right? Yeah. And you're hedging a lot on the fact that she's going to develop at the trajectory that you want. And, and I've talked about this a lot with people in terms of player development. I'm worried about her, not on her player development, on her personal development. Yeah. Right? Like to get to her Bieber. now, to get to her now, you have to get through her agents, right. her parents, her like... She's got an, like basically this uh, force field of people around her protecting her from everyone else, right? Yeah. Which is a good thing, but like she's getting probably getting delivered lunch to her every day, right? Yeah. She's not doing normal 13-year-old things. She's not out hanging out with her peers. I think she's homeschooled. Like all of these types of things worry me on a whole nother level in terms of like how she's going to turn out socially as an adult, right? We saw yeah. with like Landon Donovan on the men's side from a young age, being 16, turning pro, being sort of our phenom. Freddie Adu, same sort of thing. Put the world on his shoulders. And it's an impossible thing to live up to because you're missing so many like human things that now, okay, whether they achieve greatness or not on the pitch, mm. off the pitch, there's so many things that she's going to miss out on. I'm not talking about just like school dances and all that type of stuff. I'm just being a normal 13-year-old or a normal teenager that will give her the opportunity to have some sort of normal life someday to know how the world really, really works. Even if she makes hundreds of millions or if she doesn't, yeah. to know that like the real world is a completely different place and you've been catered to since the time you were 13 and you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. That's a very scary thing for yeah. me. Yeah, how do you balance that though? Because, and is there any like, uh, like memorable names you can remember from the men's game that have gone through that much pressure at that early age? I, mean, I guess there's a, a lot. Freddie Adu. Yeah, right. Freddie Adu was the biggest player in the world when he was 14. Yeah. Bigger than Messi. Bigger than Ronaldo, bigger than anyone, by far. And for this those that doing, don't know, what happened to Freddie Adu? I mean, Freddie Adu's been on, he just had his 30th birthday a few days ago. Right. He's been on 12, 13 teams. He signed when he was, I think, 14 years old, uh, maybe 16, professionally. He was like in the media complaining that he wasn't starting on his team at like 16 years old, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not coming from him. That's somebody telling him to say that, right? No 16-year-old's like gonna go to the media complaining when he's not on uh, starting in the team. But from there... It was just during a time that the game wasn't mature enough. Now, if Freddie, if, if Freddie Adu came about today, yeah. he would be much more protected. He would be much more like slowly developed, be in the right system because he had an opportunity when he was 12 to go to Inter Milan. Yeah. But instead, they kept him in the US system, signed him to an MLS team, and then people eventually gave up on him. And part of it was on him and part of it was on the people that were managing him. And you know, Freddie himself has fallen short as a, as a footballer in, in terms of the, the work and, and time needed to, to achieve the greatness that he was capable of. 
His team has also failed to protect him, to develop him, to allow him to be a little bit normal. I mean, this guy was doing a commercial when he's 14 yeah. with Pepsi and, or Sprite or something with, with Pele. Right. Right. It was a global ad. Like this guy had, you know, six, seven figure endorsements before he was even old enough to drive. Like yeah. this is an it's insane crazy. thing. And look, Freddie's gone on to have a 10, 11 year career. Great. But the Freddie Adu that could have been is one of the greatest players ever. Not just the best player in the U.S., but one of the greatest players ever in terms of the talent he had when he was 12 or 14 years old. What do you hope to see with uh, the young girl that's been signed to, to Nike? I think we've learned a lot from that. I think the game has grown immensely in the last 10, 11 years, or I guess it would be 15 years that yeah. Freddie's been a pro. I think she'll be much more protected in terms of like media, in terms of the expectations, in terms of what's going to be put on her. She's going to obviously get a lot of jealousy from current players, right? She's making a lot of money yeah. from a brand and she hasn't played a professional match. That's going to piss off a lot of people that are in the sport, right? Because they're going to be like, what about me? I've been paving the way for somebody like this. And so she's going to face those things along the way. You just have to hope that like, again, it's, it's not about her. It's about the team around her. Yeah. If that team around here allows her to be normal, allows her to sort of build slowly and it's not like a, a giant move to somewhere and the pressure's on and then all of a sudden you see them slowly like tick backwards for the next 10 years. I think we could see potentially the best player ever. I mean, it's, her feet are incredible. She's so fast on the ball. She has fun, which was fun to see. Like she's playing with a bunch of us ex-pros and sometimes some of the women's national team players would come out and it's just like a fun sort of pickup match that happens in LA. You could see all the potential there, but I'm putting it on the people around her. Yeah, I watched um, some YouTube clips of her play and she was absolutely ridiculous, like like different class. I think she was playing with peers that were like four or five years older than her as well. Yeah. And she she looks, she's not little, she's like athletically, you know, she's probably taller than me. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's, she's tall. And yeah, you can tell she's, she's still growing into that yeah, height. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she was just like unreal. But she reminds me of, of Tobin Heath in the sense of like her style and creativity. Yeah. She was yeah. fearless, like... Yeah. You know, Stu Holden, ex ex national team player, ex uh, Premier League player, on the pitch with her, and she's like going for Megs on him. And but like, she wasn't naive either. So I was watching some of the footage of her play, and like she would take on two or three players. But if she had an opportunity to put her friend in or put her teammate in that was in a better position, she'd pretty much always do it. Yeah, like she she was a clever. She was played clever as well. Yeah, I mean, maturity what, in her. One, in her one of her one of her agents would come out and play with us. He's a friend of mine, and he. He would like yell at her when she, not when she turned the ball over, but like in transition, right? Because she's got all the tools offensively to do damage against anyone, even, even adults. But it was more of like in transition, turnover, you lose the ball. What are you doing next? And those are actually things that I think will build character in her and tools in her to say, I don't care how much money you make from Nike. I don't care if you're a phenom. When you lose that ball and it's a turnover, track back and play defense. Yeah. And that was like things that he's like sort of, uh, pushing into her at an early age, which is like your, this is almost very much like this uh, Yentala thing that we talked about before in Scandinavia, which is like instilling into her that like, just because you have all of this at your disposal now at a young age, doesn't make you there yet. Yeah. We're like, we're like hedging towards you being a superstar. So you need to put in the work now. And that includes playing defense. It was actually pretty cool to see. It's going to be really interesting to watch her progress. Yeah. Progress. So I think it's time uh, for the next package. Another U.S. College soccer player? Yep. Do you know what college she played at? Uh, she played at, I believe, Penn State and Southern Methodist University down in Texas. Tejas. This is Erin McLeod. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hashtag Copper 90 Icons. My name is Erin McLeod. I have played for many years for the Canadian National Women's Team. Uh, and I also play for Vekre DFF, which is a small club in the Damasvenskan, which is the Swedish league. I was with the national team as early as 19 years old. And I played in the first ever under 19 Women's World Cup. And then basically uh, from there, I uh, worked my way up to the full national team. Um, and I've been with them, I think my first cap was in 2001. Then I've been to four Women's World Cups and two Olympic Games with a bronze medal in 2012. I was first on the team in 2001 with the national team. And it's 2019, <laughs> which makes me old. But um, it also um, just the evolution of uh, players' salaries, now women making a living, uh, in Canada, we get money from the government, so there's uh, there's always been that kind of side of it. But now, um, as you can see, you know, like countries like Denmark and Iceland, and there's a bunch of them that where the women are making the same percentages as men. The gender equity battle has really like exploded in the last few years. The feeling of getting selected for Women's World Cup is incredible to get selected to the roster. I'm actually not going to this World Cup due to injury, uh, which is heartbreaking because I know what it, if it feels like to get selected. I've been, like I said, I've been to four Women's World Cup and I'll never forget the first time. It was in 2003 and I was the third goalkeeper and I was 20. I would just turned 20 years old and it's... Uh, it's really cool. The Women's World Cup, and uh, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. What I think is so cool is the attention the women's game is getting from around the globe. Particularly in 2015, when we played the Women's World Cup, FIFA Women's World Cup in Canada, we had an average of over 50,000 people attending our games. And I'll never forget that because when I started with the Women's National Team, we, were, we would have our family <laughs> in the stands, you know, and that's about it. It's just an incredible honor, really. The most surreal moment of my career so far, I will never forget when the final whistle went of the France game in 2012, when we won the bronze medal. Um, I remember falling to my knees, literally, because we were all so exhausted. And France, like, the statistics, we had no right winning that game, like, none. But we won it, and um, 
I think that because we changed history the last time Canada had a medal at an at Olympic Games, a Summer Olympic Games for a team sport was 1936. So off the field, after the Sochi Olympics and the homophobia that was happening at that Games, I was part of the Canadian Olympic Committee at that time as a um, basically a player representative and um, as a, a response to those Games. Adam Vancouverton, who was Uh, another Canadian athlete who's kind of the, the president of the Athletes Commission, him and myself, we work to get um, sexual orientation added to the Athletes Charter of Rights uh, for Canadians. And for me, off the field, that was, I think, probably even more significant than the medal because, um, you know, to be able to change the rights for people uh, is, I think, the highest honor. That was interesting. Yeah. It's always interesting to hear somebody say that the stuff they're doing off the pitch is far bigger than what they're doing on the pitch. And she's done, you know, almost 120 caps with the national team, like yeah. overachiever in every way, but amazing to see what, what, what kind of where her head is, right? Like using the tools and, and power that she has as an athlete to make change for what, you know, she's saying for people instead of yeah. just. I think it's really, really cool when people do use their platform to make a positive change. But I also think that people shouldn't or athletes or whoever shouldn't be put under pressure to use their platform to make change. Maybe they just want to play football or maybe yeah. they just want to put out music. So when people get a bit of um, stick for being maybe some say a bit like dry or a bit boring, maybe they just want to do their craft and that's it. And I think people do get a bit sick of that, but that was really cool to hear. When was the Sochi Olympics? 20, fact check, fact check, fact check. 20, Sochi was 2016, 17, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10. <laughs> I know, somewhere. Days by numbers. You know it. It was, uh, you, you know it. 2014, yeah. See, I was... 2014. Yeah, 14. Of course. Yeah. Wait, because the next Olympics is next year. It's 2020. Yeah, yeah. man, confusing. In Japan. Are you going to try and go? I would love to go. I've never been to... Olympics? Asia. So I went oh. to... Don't you guys are all looking at me funny? Yeah, oh, I've never no. been. You're talking about your um, cultured coffee. Well, you see, je suis France. No, I uh, I've never been. I've I've always wanted to go. Always planned to go. I thought I was going to the actual uh, Olympics in um, I think it was Beijing. Beijing, yeah. yeah. When I was when I was a player, I got the call from the Olympic coach that I was going to be going. And he was like, make sure you clear it with your club and all these types of things. You're going to be one of the three overage players because it's 23 and under on the men's right. side. And uh, then he never called me back. What? Guys, I got all kinds of stories like this. Yeah, no. he never called me back. I was like, yeah, I'm going to it. Yeah. And then he ended up taking three other uh, overage players. But you're uh, allowed, allowed to out this guy on there. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> Peter Novak was the coach. He was the assistant for the men's team and then in an said he was going to bring me in and then I never heard from him again. But yeah, I've never, I've never actually been, I've wanted to go, but it is very far from the U S It is, and you far. have to make it like, it can't be one of the trips. I mean, technically I've been to Asia because uh, how you divide the line. Like I've been to yeah. Dubai in the middle East, which is part of Asia, but it's amazing. It's amazing. I've been to multiple countries there and yeah. every single one I've been to, I've had an amazing experience. Can you go to major cities for like a day or two or do you really uh, need to like, I feel like that's my biggest hesitation yeah. always that like I've yeah, got to make can. it a full trip. It's no. got to be like a two-weeker. So like uh, I went to Philippines, part of my family from the Philippines and I'd only been once when I was a kid and then I went back two years ago and we spent a, we spent a couple of days in Manila and like you don't really need... The thriller you in don't Manila. need thriller in Manila, yeah. I actually got I got a root canal while I was in there. Oh yeah, as as you do yeah. when you travel. You know? Filler in Manila was let's horrible. test out let's test out the dentistry here. Yeah, you know, yeah. the only way to really know how a country is. 
is the orthodontics. Seven hours. Oh, no, seven hours each day for two days in the chair. Not recommended. But it was. I had to be done. Is that how long it takes for a root canal? No, it should not take that long. It yeah, should not take that say, long. <laughs> I was going to say, that sounds like a failed root canal. Yes. And then I had to and, get the tooth pulled in the UK in the end. Didn't even really? work. Yeah. Oh, but wow. It brought me some sort of, you know, pain relief for the time. Anyway. Not to discourage our listeners from going to the Philippines. Actually, uh, amazing for place. <laughs> the orthodontic work. Uh, but yeah, I, I hope to go. That'd be that'd be really amazing. Yes, it is actually an amazing, an amazing, amazing place. But the matches today, Canada versus Cameroon. I predict a Canadian win. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Canada too. And I'm also rallying for Christine Sinclair. I don't have. Yeah. I, don't, I don't keep in contact. I was going to say, do you talk to her anymore? Or not really? Not really. No, I don't. I, I do in my head because like social media and stuff makes me feel like it makes you feel like you chat with everyone when yeah, you don't yeah. really. But no, I knew her quite well uh, back in the day. But, you know, she's a legendary figure. She's one actually that's been very, very not detrimental to pushing the match forward. But she's one obviously with a massive, massive platform that hasn't uh, always been the most. Uh, she's very quiet, very shy, right. kind of very, very just, you know, uh, keeps to herself. Yeah. And, has been criticized actually by people for not being, being one of the biggest figures in the world for not being as spoken or out in the open about whether it's uh, rights or pushing the game forward or yeah. using her power to even set a standard for endorsement money and all right. these types of things that you could maximize. People have, have sort of criticized her for just sort of going with it. Yeah, it's a bit of a hard one, isn't it? Because like, I guess... You know, most people who are happy to do that find it is part. It's also part of their duty to do so. But at the same time, like you just don't know what these people are like. Maybe they're really insular. Maybe they're really awkward. Maybe they don't have very good social skills, and they just that they find that sort of thing terrifying, and it gives them anxiety. Like you can't really comment on that without you, knowing the person really well. You just described me in five bullet points. <laughs> wow. I feel like you really know me now. We got uh, to know each other so well. But on the flip side of that matchup, we have Cameroon and Ellie Menjim yep. has a wonderful little inside score. So here it is. Inside, inside score. score. Now, Cameroon made arguably the greatest ever debut in World Cup history at Canada 2015, winning their very first match in the tournament by destroying Ecuador 6-0. They followed this up by beating powerhouses Switzerland, then only missed out on topping the group thanks to a slender 1-0 loss to then title holders Japan. Whilst they were beaten in the knockout stages with another slender loss, this time to China, the indomitable lionesses as they're known left Canada with their heads held high and continued their incredible World Cup performances with a brilliant run to the finals as hosts of the 2018 African Women Cup of Nations. However, repeating such heroics for a third straight tournament will be a tough feat for a side currently being managed by their fitness coach after the man who led them to France abruptly walked out on the squad citing issues with the FA. However, a place in the knockout stages through one of the third play spots is still a possibility if Cameroon can take advantage of a winnable opening match against New Zealand, provided their iconic Malaga star Gael Dabra Ngenamoy is in form. Not only is she the scorer of the fastest goal in women's football history, and not only did she score a hat-trick in the famous demolition of Ecuador, she was also given the nickname Freight Train by a Canada 2015 crowd who made her a fan favourite thanks to her unnerving drive and powerful style. Inside, Inside score. score. But here's what you really need to know. Whilst their incredible 2015 achievements 
didn't go unnoticed back home, they still didn't send shockwaves through the homeland like they would have if it had been the men's team. But what their 2015 results did do is create an unprecedented hype one year later when Cameroon hosted the African Women Cup of Nations, playing in front of full houses of 40,000 or more. For all their matches, the Cameroonians went on a brilliant run to the final, where it was only in their last game that they finally conceded a goal. And that final, which became the most eagerly awaited event of the year in Cameroon, created such anticipation the national stadium's capacity was forced to be increased. Yet even then, the stadium was full five hours before kickoff, with the only available spaces left before the game kicked off, save for the president and his entourage. To appease the thousands of frustrated spectators who missed out on seeing their new heroes, huge fan parks with giant screens showing the games were set up to meet demand. And whilst the indomitable Lionesses narrowly lost to Nigeria, who seemed to win the competition every year, Cameroon's newfound love for their women's national team became the real story of the tournament. With longtime veteran Ezra Osama telling the media, I never imagined people would be that interested in women's football. I've been playing professionally for 14 years and it's the first time I've felt what a male footballer must feel. So if the Cameroonians can once again make it out of the group, let alone go a stage further and equal the African record of quarterfinals, the stadium authorities back in Cameroon may once again have to amend the national stadium's capacity for the team's return parade. Amazing stuff. Yeah. Big up Ellie once more. There's always something to rallying a, a country. And I, I, I know I'm, I keep going back to uh, England last summer, but there was something about that when you hear of Cameroon like setting up fan parks where you could basically service the demand of people who are interested. It's such a great thing. Obviously, a very tough uh, first match of, of the World Cup. Yeah, I think so. I think it's going to be a hard one for them. I think, it, I don't know. I just, I can't see Canada actually conceiving a goal, but we'll see. Yeah. We also heard in there that there was a nickname Freight Train. Uh, for people who don't know, have you had any nicknames? Has anybody called you the Freight Train? Before? Me? No, just Monkey. Yeah. Uh, uh, peanut. Yeah, because yeah. I'm small. What was the one that you were talking about in front of goal that they called oh, you for a while? They called me Goat, but that's not, that's not in a good so way. So greatest of all time? Like, no. Like, like, like Steph Curry, LeBron James? No. Do you know those goats that when they get scared, they like fall over and pretend they die yeah so that was i did that a couple of times in front of goal and yeah i got called the goat oh, wow just froze up just froze up that's absolutely phenomenal visual <laughs> uh well okay well we'll work on a new nickname for you then i Thanks. mean monkey's a good nickname but uh i've got some day and numbers for you are okay. you ready for the quiz all right uh the first one for our day and numbers is seven David Beckham is number seven. Or seven days in the week. It, this, this is so broad. Go on. Close. Uh, Norway have now won seven first matches of a World Cup in a row, dating back to the very first World Cup where they lost in 91, 4-0 to China. Oh, go on, Norway. Yeah. Two. De. De. Is... Oh, it's a record uh, set yesterday in the World Cup, which is and two goals? penalties scored. Oh by a single person for the first time in a Women's World Cup. Ah, yeah. okay, that's a good one. Um, four million. Four million. It's not the amount of people tuned in because you know that was nine. It's not tickets because that was just over a million. Oh, is it? The, no, don't know. Okay, you were, you were wrong then. Um, yes, I was <laughs> No, you were actually, you got half of it. Did uh, I? Because... 9.8 was the amount of people that tuned in, but 4 million was the amount back in 2015 who tuned in for the first match here uh, ah. in France. And it was 9.8 for the opener this time around. So Amazing. Over so 
double, yeah. if my math is correct. <laughs> that is correct. Um, that's it for uh, today's uh, Football Inside Out. We will be back tomorrow, so make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen to your podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, leave us a review. And get in touch because we'd love to hear from you guys as well. Send us emails and voice notes to footballinsideout at copa90.com. We'd love to share your thoughts on the show and tweet us using the hashtag, hashtag copa90insideout. And one more bit of information for you guys. If you're in Paris, we are holding a film festival here at the Copa 90 Clubhouse today from 12 till 4.30 p.m. Uh, running a series of documentaries about women in football. Come join us. Bye. Copa 90. Football Inside Out. 